War, starting at midnight, will never be the same. This is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Hey! Hey! Welcome to Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where the two of us... I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. Go through the Sight and Sound Top 100 Greatest Films of All Time list. Everybody knows this is the only list that matters. No, whoever on Letterboxd doesn't count and also the AFI doesn't count. So this is like the list. (laughs) And you can't tell us otherwise, okay? Um, This week we are doing from 1943, which is crazy. 1943. Right in the middle of World War II. It's one of the things that makes this movie so special. It really is. Yeah. But we'll get into that. This is The Archers, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. For those of you who don't know who The Archers are, it is the it was the directing, writing, and producing team of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Jackie, what have you been watching? You know, last night I went to see the 400 Blows. You did? Yeah, and there was someone who looked just like you who was there. But they didn't have a mustache. I think that was the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, 400 Blows at the Los Feliz Vintage. And it was so, so great seeing it on the big screen. It really was. It was super fun. Um, I loved the print. I thought it was really like just classic. It was really scratchy. And, you know, just it's what you're you, it's what we all went there for right is to see that really like scratchy print and this was your first french new wave film right no last night see i can't tell when you're joking because you don't change the tone of your voice at all no but i love 400 blows but this is my first okay this is my first time seeing a french new wave film on the big screen really no i saw la piscine does that count um i don't think that's really New wave, is it? Not really. I don't know. It kind of doesn't. I love that movie, though. I liked it. Yeah, I saw your kind of low rating on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, yeah, I really, I really like that one. But it, I feel like it doesn't really fit in with the whole. No, no, no. It is like, French. Strictly, and it is from the 60s. Like, yes, but strictly new wave. This was my first one in the movies. Wow. And it was so fun. It was, yeah. It was really fun. It's a great one. Uh, I saw Red Wa- uh, I saw Red Rocket. Oh, the Sean Baker movie. Sean Baker movie. And I, you know, <laughs> um, I really love his movies. I really, really love his movies. And I liked this. It was a great time. Fantastic. I laughed a lot. But I was kind of telling you this yesterday. I think my own like my problem with it is like I like unlikable characters. I I love movies that have like Joker. <laughs> no, but I like movies that have unlikable protagonists or when protagonists do bad things. Like I'm fine with that, obviously. But, like, I think my problem with this one is just, like, he's the same level of unlikable the whole time. It doesn't start from, like, okay, he's kind of unlikable, and then he gets really unlikable. Or he's not that unlikable, and then he gets really unlikable. It's literally the same amount of, like, just bad person, like, the whole time. (laughs) Uh Which makes for a good comedy. Like, it was funny. But I don't have, like, a connection to it like I do, like, Florida Project. or That that one's so good. Just, ugh. Another level. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, besides uh, 400 Blows last night, which, you know, I I saw that in a film class, like in an auditorium. So it was like a movie screen. So I felt like I saw it in a movie theater before. It was really like a movie theater classroom hybrid. But yeah, I mean, this is, I know we talked, I asked you after the movie about how you could still stand up for uh, thinking that Godard is better than Truffaut after seeing something. Did like I ever Blows. say that? I never. Yeah, I feel like we had that conversation. I never I was said like, Godard's better. Well, maybe I asked which one you personally mm-hmm. fall more towards like Godard, Truffaut, and you were like Godard, I, but which I is fine. <laughs> I don't fine. think I said that. I, I, you did. <laughs> you definitely did. And it's fine. But come on, you watch 400 Blows and it's like, Godard never had that. Okay. No, I, here's the thing. I, first of all, I don't remember saying that. I genuinely don't. Oh, you said it. Maybe it's just, maybe I've just seen more Godard movies, honestly. Mm. Yeah, he does have a he has a lot more. He has a lot of movies. Yeah. But I've seen all of the Antoine Duanel movies and I love most of them. I just don't like the last one. It's really not good. The only good thing about Love on the Run is that he has a son in it. Like his son is kind of grown up. Cause he's a baby in the third one. 
And uh, it's really sweet seeing him with a kid, but that's it. Hmm. Yeah. What else? Beyond uh, 400 Blows, I watched a movie called Five Fingers of Death. So lately, I'm trying to fill gaps in my cinematic uh, knowledge. And I realized that 70s kung fu movies was something that was missing in my uh, education (laughs) so far. So watched that and honestly had a really, really great time. It was kind of the movie that made the kung fu movie craze. It was the first one that crossed over. It's a, it's a movie studio out of Hong Kong called uh, the Shaw Brothers Studio. And their output from like the 60s through the 80s, they made like hundreds of kung fu movies. And it's like what they're known for. And Tarantino, mm-hmm. of course, like ripped all of them off for like Kill Bill and stuff. But so yeah, I watched that one, which is like one of the first big ones to like come, come to America and stuff and had a great time. And then I also finished the uh, the Beatles Peter Jackson documentary oh, Get yeah. Back on mm-hmm, Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. I started it like when it came out, like back <laughs> before Thanksgiving. How or, many episodes is it? It's three episodes, but the episodes are like one. They're like three hours long oh, each, geez. so it's like nine hours. Wow! And you know, it's it's footage of them just kind of sitting around and talking, which is amazing. So the footage is is really amazing. Like to see this after all these years, it's, this film has been in a vault. You get to see their creative process. You literally see them sitting down and writing these songs and, and like that's crazy doing it on the fly. It's it's such a, an amazing uh, historical document. Like you can't even put a value on that, right? But I do have a gripe with Peter Jackson's handling of the the footage, which was shot on sixteen millimeter. And it sounds like I'm nitpicking at this point, but it's actually a really big deal. Shot on sixteen millimeter film, so it's supposed to look grainy. It's supposed to be this have this beautiful film look to it Mm -hmm. and he used dnr which is digital noise reduction that just smooths all the grain Mm -hmm. out so what you get instead is people look waxy the whole thing kind of looks digital and like overly smooth and it it was driving me fucking crazy and i don't know why anyone in their right mind would take this beautiful historic footage and as the sort of like gatekeeper of this footage right it's your responsibility to to handle it well and not mm-hmm. completely fuck up the the look of the film. So that was a huge bummer. I think he did a good job otherwise, mostly in terms of like putting it together. Because mm-hmm. he had like 50 or 60 hours of footage that he condensed wow. into like nine hours and kind of had to like shape a narrative out of it. But yeah, it's amazing. Have you seen any of it? No. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. It's just, it's a big time commitment. <laughs> yeah. I just, I watched it in chunks because I don't always have three hours to sit down to watch one episode of something. If they're going to do it episodic though, I wonder why they made each episode three hours. Yeah. I feel like he should have at least cut them in half. I, yeah. I get, I get the, the mentality of like, oh, you need to just like take time to like get absorbed into it. But no one has, it's like watching the Lord of the Rings movies because you have three of them and yeah, they're like and three, they're hours. three hours. It's like, that's maybe too much. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was really really special cool yeah let's get into this week's movie because it's phenomenal it's so good this is what you guys came here for talk about colonel blimp so we're gonna do it here on seen and heard The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp was released in the United Kingdom in 1943. It's directed by the producing, writing, and directing team of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, often called The Archers, based on the name of their production company, The Archers. The film is based on a cartoon strip by David Lowe. And the film is this epic, decades-spanning story of the life of a British general. His name is Clive Candy, played by Roger Livesey. And it's divided into three sections that encompass his military career. The Boer War in 1902, World War I, and World War II. During the Boer War, he takes a trip to Berlin to clear up some propaganda regarding the British, and he meets and befriends a Prussian soldier, Theo Kretschmar Schuldorf, played by the great Anton Valbrook. And their friendship only gets stronger through the years despite their countries being enemies. He also meets a British governess, Edith Hunter, played by Deborah Carr, whom he realizes he loves only after her and Theo become engaged. Deborah Carr also plays the two other women in his life, Barbara, his wife, and eventually his driver during World War II, Angela. Despite the title, he does not die in the end. 
Instead, he graciously accepts that his old world ideals about British chivalry might be out of date in the age of Hitler. So the British army was very against this film being made. And uh, some believe, yeah, some believe Churchill like thought that it was a caricature of him. Cause like, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. He's bald. He's kind of chubby, but only in the mustache. later years of his life. Did Churchill have a mustache? Maybe. I think he did. No. No? Okay. No, but he was bald and he was like very British and he fought in the Boer War and in World War One. So he really like, I think he kind of thought it was based on him and making fun of him. Um, but yeah, the war office, the Ministry of Information, they gave them a really hard time. They told them like, please don't make this movie. We don't support it. And uh, they thought it was a satire of the British army. And yeah, not really a good time to have a sympathetic German character right in the middle of World War II. It's so like, like I'm thinking of like, okay, Casablanca, right? That was made like during World War II. But like this one feels so much more important, like the fact that it was made during World War II. Yes. Yes. It blew my mind. It really did. And uh, yeah, originally they wanted uh, Laurence Olivier to play the part of Colonel Candy. Sorry, General Candy. I always get mixed up because it's <laughs> it's Colonel Blimp, but he's General Candy. See, like, it's not really based on the comic strip. It's it's literally just taking, like, his walrus mustache and his pompous, like, Britishness. And that's the character we have at the end, kind of. And then we see his life and what led him to kind of become that. Yeah, I, and I think it's a reference... Because no one today, especially not in the UK, knows this Colonel Blimp yeah. comic strip. No. And so I think a lot of people are confused of like, wait, what? Where's yeah. the blimp in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny. But okay, so they, they wanted Lawrence Olivier, but he was in the army. So they asked the war office, can we like take him out to make this movie? And they said no. Uh, so yeah, instead we have Roger Livesey, who does an incredible job. He does I mean, height. What? Just kidding. I'm oh, <laughs> I was about to throw hands. I think that he like anyway, we'll talk about that. This was the first Archer's picture like under their production company. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. And uh, in case you guys don't know Michael Powell, he's British. He was a screenwriter. He worked with Hitchcock. He made B movies or as they were called quota quickies in the day. <laughs> I love England. that. I love that. Quota quickies, yeah. isn't it hilarious? Uh, so yeah, he, he's British, but Pressburger is, uh, Hungarian, was Hungarian. He was a former journalist, violinist, short story writer, and he worked, he moved from Hungary to Germany to work in the film industry. He was a screenwriter. And then he fled when the Nazis came to power. And, uh, in their kind of duo, he's credited with doing a lot of the writing and they made some of the best British films of all time. So you say. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Yeah, I mean, you look up any list of the great British films or great British directors, and pretty much Pal and Pressburger are like the top of the list. I mean, there this is mm-hmm. that doesn't get much more prestige than, right. than the Archers, right? And just to like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going back, but we talked a little bit about like why Winston Churchill would be offended because of this Colonel Blimp character being so funny, and the the creator of the Colonel Blimp character, David Lowe, said. Blimp is a symbol of stupidity, and stupid people are quite nice. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so funny. So the, the character was created as a satire of the sort of British reactionary opinion at the time. Because, you know, 30s and 40s in Britain, there was so much happening and so much kind of change. And people were very quick to have opinions about everything. And the fact that this blimp character was created to be this kind of like kind of just shooting from the hip, like shooting off at the mouth kind of character. Yeah. It's like what, that was his whole vibe. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. So this uh, this movie kind of, it's funny because they didn't look at the comic strip and be like, oh, let's make this into a movie. Right. But didn't factor it into it later. Right. In but fact, what about his look? Yeah. Sure. I, no, no. The look is like down to a T. Like yeah. when you see Roger Livesey as Candy with like the walrus mustache, he's bald, he's yeah. rotund. Yeah. That's Colonel yeah. Blimp. Yeah. In, in appearance and, and sort of by the end, he does kind of, slightly become this you know more yeah. human version uh-huh. of the blimp cartoon uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. yeah no but but, it, but yeah it was cre- the movie do you know the genesis of the movie a little bit but please expand so they they had made a couple movies before this this is their first like really truly huge movie mm-hmm. um and this the third the 40s for them was insane because mm-hmm. you had this uh in no particular order you had this you had black narcissus you had um 
Matter of Life and Death, mm-hmm. you had the red shoes. So it was like just classic after classic. Question, yeah. Matter of Life and Death, is that before this movie? No, no, it was after. Exactly. It was a couple movies after, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was like 1945. Because it's also a World War II story. Yeah. I have it somewhere up there. I can't look it up right now. Uh, yeah, it, it was a couple years after this. It is it is a World War II story, but not as... Not it, as involved No, as it's this. a fable. Like, it's like yeah. a fable. It's like a fairy tale. But yeah. So they were making... Just before this, they made a movie called One of Our Air One of Our Aircraft is Missing, which I have not seen. And just before that, they had made the 49th parallel. So in one of those in one of those movies, I, I forget exactly which one, but there was a scene, it was a war movie, and there was a scene with an older general, and there was just a comment of like like there was a line in the movie about him being old and like what it was like to be old. And then the editor, who was actually David Lean, edited this movie, who went on to become David Lean of Lawrence of Arabia mm. and Bridge on the River Kwai and stuff. He told them, like, hey, actually, like, they actually cut the scene from the movie. But he's like, you know, you could actually make a whole movie out of that line. And so that was sort of, that was the That's genesis great. for this. Yeah. yeah. So I don't Amazing. know at what point the comic strip factored into it, but it wasn't like the genesis of the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Initial thoughts. Well, okay, so I had seen this about 10 years ago, which I feel like I say for all these movies we're doing. (laughs) I saw it about 10 years ago, and I had seen The Red Shoes prior to this, and I had seen Black Narcissus prior to this. And um, yeah, this really, this this was my second, so I watched, I rewatched it two days ago. I hadn't seen it in like 10 years, and I just loved it both times, like, I know we we briefly chatted about our thoughts of the beginning of the movie, and we'll get into that in a second. But uh, yeah, when I first saw this, I was very like thrown for a loop, like when it starts, because you're kind of grasping it, like wait, what's the tone here? Like, what is this? This movie? counts for initial thoughts. Yeah, okay, it does. I guess. It yeah, <laughs> but it starts because there's this wraparound story of it's in present day, and you have these characters that are part of this. Um, uh, home guard who are responsible for doing this training mission that candy set up yeah and the home guard was basically like the army in london to defend london in case of an invasion a lot of times it was people that couldn't get into the army themselves so it was kind of just like a lot of hanging around and there's a lot of like people playing grab ass and Mm -hmm. stuff in this tripping over each other and shenanigans and you know that's how the movie starts off yeah you're like wait what is this yeah (laughs) and it's like where's blimp like i was just waiting yeah and so you you meet him in this Turkish bath, and of course their whole thing is war is gonna okay the new drill this for this drill war is gonna start at midnight and they have it they get it in their head like no let's just do it early and take them by surprise and yeah, let's play dirty yeah because like the enemy doesn't wait till the agreed upon time to yeah, invade we're talking about Nazi Germany here so um, yeah they they catch Candy off guard in the Turkish bath and. <laughs> kind of ruffle his feathers and he, he's like <laughs> so funny. very upset that he has to do this now and he can't wait till midnight <laughs> can so, i play the clip yeah let's do it let's play that clip it's like it's just so funny it's the amount of times they say sir to each other like they're yelling at each other but they're saying sir i'll play what's going on here invasions but you damned young idiot war starts at midnight haven't you been told oh yes sir that's why we're here. But may I ask on what authority? On the authority of these guns and these men, sir. Authority? Authority? How dare you, sir? How dare you? Get out of here, sir, you and your gang of awful militia gangsters. Get out! So, yeah, I mean, you have that <laughs> scene, and it's basically the whole movie summed up, if you think about it. He's but so put we'll out. Get into it. Yeah. yeah, he's so put out that they broke the rules, basically. Yeah. Um... But yeah, wait, what were we talking? We were talking about how it's it's off putting. It really is. Like I was very confused. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like well, let's get your tell me your initial thoughts. Um yeah, I mean, if we're talking about the beginning, beginning, tapestry, love it. Oh my god, that the tapestry opening credits yeah. is phenomenal. It's like it's playful, but also like traditional and goofy. It's like it's really, it's the whole movie. It's the tapestry of this story, really. And it's like the credits are written into it, are sewed into it. It was great. Anyway, that scene happens. And yeah, I was confused. I was really confused. I had to rewind it. I thought for sure I missed something. I rewound, I rewound it to the start of the movie. <laughs> um, 
But okay. I love your dedication in this. You're God. like, no, I'm going to comb every inch of this. Oh, yeah. You know how long <laughs> it took me to watch this movie? How long? Easily four hours. Really? Easily. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Because, okay, I know you went back and then I know you're pausing to take notes, which I do too. But are you doing anything else? Like, are you I, researching? I hit on the subtitles sometimes. I go back uh. if I miss something because they... <laughs> I don't like looking at subtitles on an English movie because it really distracts me for some reason. Same. I don't it like it either. It really distracts me. But then like they're talking very pompous and like they're talking very quick. So sometimes I have to like go back and turn it on and I don't know. Anyway, anyway, um, my main initial thought was my utter and complete like shock realizing that it was the same actor playing Colonel, Bl- not Colonel Blimp, uh, General Candy. Candy the whole time. Like it was, it was in the World War II sequence. So like he's old, right? And then we have him young, and then World War II, World War One comes along. Middle age. I'm sorry, World War One bit is when I realized, not World War Two, when he's middle age. Yeah, because he looks like the old man. Wait, you didn't know in the 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 Boer War section that that mm-hmm. was the same actor? No, really. Yeah. Even though he had the same voice. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, huh. I didn't. Because it. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay, right? the his aging voice. Oh, oh. <laughs> aging makeup phenomenal it puts the irishman to shame i was about to bring up sorry marty i love you but like how how is it so good how yeah. is it 1943 the makeup is so so good the only tell in that bathhouse scene is the side yeah, view you can kind of see the hairline yeah but it's, who cares who cares and also, I think it's also, it speaks to him as an actor. Like, yeah, it looks great. So but the, good. The fact that he can play this exactly. like, 60-something when he was in his 30s. Because he is different. That's why I was surprised. Because he's so different when he's playing the younger version of himself. His voice doesn't sound the same. Oh, it, it changes a little me. bit. Yeah, I mean, it's not as shouty when he's young. So that's what, <laughs> that's saying something about Roger Livesey, I think. Like, phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Sorry. That sounds like Trump when I say that. <laughs> No, really, like, I was blown away. So, after the four and a half hours it took you to watch the movie. <laughs> oh, another initial thought I had, like, as it was going, is this man's voice is so beautiful. Especially when he's in his 30s, the Boer War. His voice was like velvet. I just, I really loved his voice. Yeah. And it was so funny because I was watching uh, Martin Scorsese's introduction to this movie on Criterion Channel. And he he mentions in that little video that people told um roger livesey that he wouldn't work in movies because his voice was just so weird and unique but it's such a good voice yeah beautiful um i think i think when you realize that it's a war movie without war in it it's such a sweet relief it's such a warm moment i think (laughs) yeah a lot just good feelings while watching this movie yeah, agreed. Agreed. Were really you, good were you expecting, expecting no. like a more traditional? Yeah, war I movie? thought it was a war movie. Yeah. And then when you realize it's not, you're like, okay, I like get what they're doing. Story. It's a buddy story. It's a love story. It's yeah. longing. All the characters yeah. are so great. Yes. The acting is A. Plus. Great. It's great. Like I B loved minus. it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I got to stop doing that. Um, agreed. Across the board, it's amazing. It's a, It's technically amazing. Yeah. It's, the fact that this is 1943, blows is, my mind. it blows my mind because it, th- this is why, I mean, I do think like Powell and Pressburger are among my favorite directors because everything I've seen of theirs feels 20 years like yeah. ahead of its time yeah. or 30 years ahead of its yeah. time. And this made, this was made in 1943. Incredible. Like, it feels so modern in every way. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Shot on this beautiful Technicolor film. The whole thing. The, the acting is very natural. It, well, it's natural in like a... Let's talk about the acting for a second. It's natural in that it doesn't take anything too seriously. And that's yeah. the point of the movie. It's like, it's not... I wouldn't call this movie a satire because I don't think it is. I no. think it's just real people realizing like the folly of the world. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think maybe the wraparound segment is a little... There's a little satire in there. A little, a little satire. A little nod to the comic strip, but it. I think it's when you when you think when you're not sure what's happening. Yes, I did think it was a satire when I didn't know what was happening. But once you do know that, oh, it's just an army exercise. Like, I think it's funny. I think it's just comedic. Yeah, agreed. You know, it's funny is this movie. So it came out in '43 in the UK. It didn't come out till '45 in the US. And it was cut. They recut it and they For, like, retitled what? it. To what? Uh, it became. 
The Adventures of Colonel Blimp or just Colonel Blimp. So one or the other, they use both titles. Stupid. And so this movie runs 160 minutes, which is nearly three hours, and they cut it down to 150. Oh, sorry, this version runs 163. They cut it down to 150, and then on TV, they cut it down to 90 minutes. That was the one Marty saw. And he still loved it. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, that's, we're talking, like, almost half the movie at that That, point. Yeah. Yeah. That's criminal. I do know that Pressburger thought that this was their best movie together. Aww. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Pressburger, because he was considered an enemy alien during Mm -hmm. World War II. Yeah. And he had to go to the police station once a week. He had to be home by a certain time. All the things that Theo goes through in the movie. Yeah. And it just lends this air of... I don't even know the word I'm looking for. It just lends this air of like realness and just pure empathy. And it's beautiful. It's Uh, about them. It's essentially about about their friendship. I was about to say how much of these characters are Powell and Pressburger themselves. One British guy. Well, Pressburger is Hungarian. But again, he literally, that speech that Theo gives. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That long shot speech that he gives to the... (laughs) Some immigration officer yeah. trying to like explain why he's in the UK. It's all one shot. And it's just heartbreaking. And knowing that Pressburger wrote that, like going through a similar situation. I just, it's something else. And I think it does lend it this air of like importance where the red shoes or black narcissists are very much like, they're incredible, but nothing. They're fantasias. They can't be as personal as this. They just yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, made in the midst of World War II. Yeah. And Anton Valbrook himself was an Austrian refugee. Like ev- everyone's been through this and they're going through it while they're making this movie. And it makes it so good. It makes it so special. Yeah. It's beautiful. It really is. This. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. ahead. No. <laughs> I was going to say this movie has what I look for in movies. First of all, it looks beautiful. And from a technical standpoint, it's like <laughs> ravishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that. There's a great buddy story in mm-hmm. the center of this, and there's a great sort of um I don't want to there's a romance, right? There's it's a like rom- the woman of his life. The love right? of his life. Yeah. And I think those components in a movie, when you nail both of those and you get them in the same movie, like, oh, come on. I mean, that's yeah. like Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what you want to see at the movies, it, these, these intense relationships. Right. And you get it all. You do. Do you want to talk about Deborah Carr? No. <laughs> Can we pass her up, please? I think she you was guys, a mediocre actress. Greg is obsessed with Deborah Carr. He says it all the time. She's like one of his favorite actresses. Can I just say that I have a huge crush on Deborah Carr in this movie? Yeah. She plays three roles. She plays three roles. And I think this was still relatively early in her career. She still looks... She's very she's, young. She's, she's 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. She's really young here. So, I mean, she's great. Again, I think that the movie kind of uses the idea of her as a more powerful tool than her herself. Like she, while she does play these, these three roles, she's not really in it that much. Like she kind of pops up at important times, but you're, you're they're using the memory of her character right. as a, as this bigger thing. Yeah. So it's not like she has like that much to do here, even yeah. though she is playing those roles. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, anything she pops up in, it's like, it's a treat. I think Edith is probably my favorite character. Although I really love Angela. I think Angela is so, which one's, just, wait, which one's Edith? <laughs> Edith is the first one. The first one. The real she's one. She's a governess. Yeah. She lives in Berlin. And she's really like a pre-suffragette, basically. Yeah. And she's just so fierce. And Okay, do you think that... So, basically, in the story, her and Candy are getting very close. I mean, they're spending all their time together. He's recuperating. He's recuperating in the hospital. And After then the Theo duel. comes along. Yeah, the duel duel is so good. Yeah, we'll We'll talk talk about about, the duel in a second. It's so, there's so much in this movie. I'm actually really worried. It's a, I mean, it's like almost a three hour movie, but, um, so do you think that, so Theo and her decide to get married. They tell Candy that they're in love and she's going to stay there and be married, but she has feelings for Candy, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all in her face when she's giving him that hug but he's just playing it off so, oh my God, I'm so happy for you guys, which he is. He doesn't realize he has feelings for her until later. And she's kind of heartbroken. Like you can see it in her face. It's such a it's such a tender performance. You can even see it in his face when 
uh, Theo tells him that he's in love with her and that they're going to get married. You can see there's a pause in Candy's face. I don't think face. so. I think the really? pause only comes when she enters the room and he gives her a kiss and hug. Mm. It's so sweet. He had to have known at that point that he had some some feelings. And I love for when her. she's. I love when they're yelling. They're fighting about the play that they're going to go see in London, but she knows that she's not going to go back to London. So she's getting really like heated about this, and she starts crying. Like, no, I thought it was this play. Ulysses, of course, because he's coming home. Yeah. Um, I thought that was hilarious, and the music kind of like climaxes. You think I'm like, what's going on? Like, what? <laughs> but it's so good. It is. It's it's really fantastic. But, you know, he's this, like, one-woman guy. You know, like, he's, like, this... He's this classic hero, I think. One woman all his life, obviously. Just her. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. And he starts seeing her in other women, and he marries his wife because she looks like her. Even though she's much younger. She's, like, 20-something years younger. Yeah. He sees her during World War One. She's a nurse. And, yeah, he gets married. You know, it's so funny. Echoes of vertigo, honestly. Yeah, honestly. But it's it's funny because it's, like... He has that painting of her, his wife, in his trophy room. And it's so funny. <laughs> Molly Haskell, the critic, she w- I, wrote a- I read an essay she wrote about this movie. And she literally calls her, like, takes trophy wife to a new extreme. Because she's <laughs> literally in the middle of all of his hunting trophies yeah. is her portrait. And she really is this kind of society queen wife that he marries. And that character is kind of dull. I mean... They we we don't really great. get to know her that well. No, too. she seems nice. And she has yeah. that great speech about how Germans, like wrote such beautiful poetry and music and yet they like are butchers in times of war yeah do you remember that speech yeah. can i play a little bit of it yeah let's let's play it well, i was thinking how odd they are They're queer for years and years they're writing and dreaming beautiful music and beautiful poetry all of a sudden they start a war they sink undefended ships Shoot innocent hostages and bomb and destroy whole streets in London, killing little children. And then they sit down in the same butcher's uniform and listen to Mendelssohn and Schubert. Something horrid about that. Yeah, like really insightful. But no, it's got to be. I mean, Angela's a great character, the driver. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. I think the only reason. I think at that point the the age gap was just too much. I think he would I have so. he probably wanted to marry her too. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, no, I'm it's you know, I'm in my I'm and much I, older now. I love how Angela, the 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 driver character, has no romantic relations with any of them. Like she has her own life and her own boy her own boyfriend. Yeah, she's so much younger, yeah. Yeah, and it but it it, it just adds dimension. Like yeah. I don't know. I really, really liked it. And did you know okay, so her boyfriend, who is Spud, who is the one that invades the Turkish bath and takes Colonel Blimp uh, prisoner, uh, he candy? calls her Candy. He calls her Mata Hari. Do you know what that is? No, I didn't. So, so at first, in the beginning of the movie, he's saying, "Oh, I have a date with Mata Hari." I thought it was a real person because it's, but it's not. It's Angela. We find out later. So, Mata Hari was a Dutch exotic dancer who was killed in World War One for being a spy. Oh wow! She wasn't. She was living in France, and she was shot by firing squad for being a spy. Wow, I didn't know that. But she's literally an exotic dancer. So yeah, yeah I like, guess I wondered that too. I was like, why is he calling? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So this whole thing about she's playing the women in his life—it's one woman that he's idealized this whole time, and he admits it. Like he says, like, yes, I've idealized Edith, and. I don't know, the fact that she doesn't age, it reflects this whole theme of the movie, like his traditionalism and his kind of dream of the world and dream of perfection and eternal beauty. And then I love when Theo like brings him back to reality and says, you know, like she aged, we grew up together, we grew old together. Like, yeah, you remember her looking like that, but she didn't look like that. Isn't that great? It's so fucking good. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, he's he's like the Jimmy Stewart character in Vertigo if he was if Scotty in Vertigo was not creepy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he doesn't go it's funny cuz Deborah Card pops up just looking like Deborah Carr where he doesn't have to like make her over like mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart did. And Vertigo. she's the exact same person. <laughs> yeah. Not even like dyed hair or anything. Yeah. But slightly yeah. different clothes to reflect the time change. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. But Theo man, Theo is I mean, look, these are two, I mean, the, the three leads in this movie 
are are world-class actors Mm -hmm. and yeah there's magic happening here and theo doesn't at the end of the day like doesn't get that much screen time right yeah he does i mean he's gone for like big chunks of the movie Hmm. but when you get him it's like fireworks so good like magic when okay there was the biggest smile on my face when they rolled theo into his room to play cards with him and i realized i was like okay they're gonna be friends because they're both (laughs) smiling that's the thing that's what's so great about this movie they don't try to like put on a face and say oh we just duel each other like this is gonna be awkward like no they both realize that duels are stupid yeah and now they're just gonna play cards it's you know the woman that that wheels him in that's, I thought that was his wife. It's Roger Livesey's wife in, oh. in real life. Yeah. I thought it was his wife in the movie. And then I was confused. Like, I thought oh. it was too. Um, like, oh, he fell for Denver Carr. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think the scene where Candy goes to visit him in the prisoner of war camp. This is like the World War One era. He goes to visit him and he ignores him. He snubs him. He, when Theo snubs him, it's such a moving moment. And Marty Scorsese was saying how that was cut from the version that he saw. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's such an important moment, I think. It's not all cutesy like, oh, my best friend. No, he's mad and he's upset and he's depressed that his country lost. It's not. It's not this person who's just been constricted into the army and didn't want to be like no he's a soldier who believes in germany and yeah. want yeah yeah exactly and it's so great because there's that cliche of like oh yeah i'm, I'm thinking of jules and jim honestly <laughs> um of oh i don't want to be here but i just got enlisted like i had to go i got um drafted and now i can't be with my best friend from another country it's like no this is what he does these are adults yeah yeah it it, it gives it a layer of complexity that is necessary I think so. I think so. And yeah, I mean, their whole relationship is Powell and Pressburger. Yeah. It's a story of two friends. (laughs) Do you think British people were really that nice to the German prisoners of war? That's a good question. I think in some cases, maybe this movie kind of like is a little easy on the British. People say it's it's kind of pro-British and I, I totally get it. I mean, it doesn't even talk about what the Boer War was and why they were there. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, look at contrasted to the US where we have so many fucking super patriotic movies that are so out of line and so over the top. Right. Like it's, it's an easy thing for me to forgive, especially considering when it was made. I think so. I think the, the main, like the most wonderful thing about this movie is that it is about a German British relationship during world war two in the middle of world, world war two made in 1942 three yeah well it was released i guess it was yeah it was shot in 42 yeah yeah i mean you know this is uh so let me ask you this let me ask you this okay how would you compare this to something like what about citizen kane because i feel like there's some stuff in this movie in terms of spanning this great man's life and i knew you were gonna say that yeah yeah so why don't what do you think about i like this movie more (laughs) well well beyond like which one you prefer? Like, isn't it funny how different the two approaches are? Like, yes, Kane, how Citizen Kane is so serious and yeah. Well, and they were released two years apart too, so they were like very close. Right. Kane came two years before this, so yeah. You, right. You were and Kane is more much more like pessimistic. Obviously, this movie yeah. ends. It's happy. Black. I mean, yeah, Kane is very black. The thing that's so wonderful about this movie, actually, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying this is wonderful about it, but it's like. He so graciously accepts that, like, okay, it's time for me to step down. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, when they're Kane is really the, a story about loss. About someone never accepting, never realizing yes. that they should step down. Yeah. And, and this movie's about loss, too. This movie's definitely about loss. Yeah. But it's the fact that he's surrounded by his best friend and people who love him and are loyal to him with, that Kane obviously doesn't have. Yeah. Because he's kind of a... Like, he's just not as likable, honestly. Yeah. Like, no, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so can we talk about the way that it averts things? Like, this movie is very much... First of all, it's called The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. He doesn't die in the movie. And there's a lot of other things that... Important moments that just aren't shown. And it's such a cool magic trick. I think it's so... It works so well. Some of my favorite movies do that. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I mean, the first... The way it, like... First of all, you don't see the duel, which is exactly. the classic shot of it just goes to the ceiling and 
comes out of the gym and it's well, snowing. Let's talk about that because you see all the prep for the duel, right? So, and it, you're building tension, so yeah. So even the scene before that where he offends the German officer at mm-hmm. this dinner club or whatever mm-hmm. by playing the Schubert song or whatever the fuck it is. And so we have that whole setup. Yeah. And then we have the duel. We have the prepping for the duel. We have the ripping rules. of his sleeve, yeah. stepping in the resin with your feet. Giving them the swords. Yeah. So you have all this meticulous yeah. prep. And then as soon as they go to start fighting and start dueling, yeah. the camera comes up yeah. and out of the window and away. Yeah. Because this is a this is a war movie with no fighting in it. Yeah. It, and that shot is so, so brilliant. And yeah, I mean, there's no battles. There's no battle scenes. And I love it. The World War II... I'm sorry. The World War One episode is literally just a night where he's trying to look for something to eat. Yes, like, I know. So I love good. that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And also the transitions through time are so great. I love. I love. I love. He's fighting Spud right in the in the Turkish bath. This is like the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, oh my god! And the transition to the, the flashback. Water. He come. They go underwater, and then he swims out, brown haired and young, and it's. It's just beautiful. beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the camera kind of tracks along this long pool in the Turkish bath. Yeah, and it's so perfect. He comes out and he's got brown hair and you know we're in the past. Yeah. It's so, so good. He's and been the, going to that Turkish bath for a long time. Yeah. it's at. The, I think that's the club, isn't it? It's the club, yeah. Yeah. And then the blank wall filling up with trophies. Of, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But that's another <laughs> way yet, it jumps. And then the death of his wife. We never see the death of his wife. It's just a newspaper clipping. Mm-hmm. And I like how the clippings are not obituaries. It's him saying, it's him like releasing a statement. Right. Yeah, like, because obituaries it, are so overdone. What it's doing, it's evading um, sentimentality, I think. Yeah. And Murdoch, when his like close friend slash butler passes away as well, he does a similar thing. Yeah. He like releases a statement saying, oh, Murdoch was a great man. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, okay. <laughs> I was about to take this so off topic. <laughs> Can I just say that I'm jealous that we don't live somewhere where we have these like great Turkish baths? I know. Because I feel like that's something that I would love to take advantage of in my everyday life. But but you can go to a spa here and they'll give you like a, a Turkish, like I think it's just like a scrub. No, but I want like, you I want to go to a bath Walk house. into this big marble, like palatial yeah. bath. Like that's what I want. And they don't exist here. It's like a European thing. There's something, there's like, um, when I drive down Beverly, it's some sort of bathhouse, but it, I, I, I'll give you the name. Yeah, let me know. They just make it look so appealing in this movie. I know. I know. Maybe this should even just be called Turkish Bath, the movie. <laughs> Perhaps. Let's talk about Candy a little bit. I feel like we haven't talked about him enough. It's funny because there's so much kind of going on with him, right? Right. But at the end of the day, he's kind of used to prove this point, which mm-hmm. is tied into the comic strip of him becoming this. It's basically him over time becoming less and less useful. Like his integrity is still there. His heart is still in the right place. Right. But at the end of the day, he's not like the right person to to be in this war in World War II. Right. right. He doesn't have the right sensibility for it. He's out of touch. Mm-hmm. And like Spud and his team clearly do know, like they do have the attitude yeah. of like taking by surprise. So it's funny because w- this movie, like where Candy ends up is as the, the comic strip. Yeah. It's him looking at his demolished house. Yeah. He says that great line, the lake is here. I still haven't changed. Yeah. I, I love that line. Yeah. But yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a, I think again, and I saw this a lot on Letterboxd and I know that this is frequently con- considered one of the great British films of all time and also one of the most British films. Yeah. And I think Candy is such a, ste- not stereotypical, He he's like your classic British general, right? Can In I pull- every <laughs> sense of the word. Can I please pull a clip? Yeah, what clip do you want to pull? Okay, wait, no, maybe we should wait. Can, finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that with with everything that entails, this movie is basically giving depth to this the stereotype. The stereotype, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's like, it's so funny because after he gets that letter that says basically like, we don't need you for World War II, Theo's talking to him and he's telling him like, you know, I've been telling you this for a long time now. And um, Candy says, 
I know what war is. And Theo goes, I don't think you do. And it's so funny because like we actually haven't seen him fight at all. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know if he's if he knows, you know, it's I just thought it was so funny. But like when his talk gets canceled. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. So like, I don't think that this man knows what hate is. I don't think so. Either. I don't think he does. I think that this is a job to him. And he just does his job. And then, I mean, he's heroic. He's a gentleman. He's not too sensitive, but he's not like obnoxiously manly, you know? Like, I really like his character. And it's not stereotypical. If it was stereotypical, he'd be like, I'm boxing all day and I'm going to go. And we'd see him like shoot a bunch of animals. Granted, we see his like trophies <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. I don't think that he's really stereotypical until maybe the end. No, yeah. But they're taking that that stereotype, right? And like just breathing, making it a person, adding right. flesh and blood. It's like the, right. the attic scene in Hellraiser where this, it's a skeleton and all this flesh and blood is being added. I'm saying because you understand the reference because <laughs> you're a big Hellraiser fan. But And yeah, and I I think that his point is so beautiful. Like, I think that the point of this movie is so beautiful. I think that absolutely like, the message of peace and friendship, it's like, it's a message of peace, but it's also made in the middle of world war two. So it's like, wake up. You actually have to like really fight for the things that you value. And yeah, you're going to have to get rid of your ideals. Like this is war, but at the same time, it's a story of peace. Like it's, it is. I don't know. It's I know it's it's, fantastic. Co- it's complicated. Yeah, I, it honestly breaks my heart at the end of this. It movie. It really breaks my heart because he's so taken aback. He just doesn't understand how this war could be so different. Yeah, and it just goes against everything that he stands for yeah. and everyone that he, everything yeah. that he is. Yeah, it's it honestly makes me really sad. I'm getting really <laughs> emotional right now. Okay, you said he's like super British, right? So I have there's this phenomenon, and we've talked about this before. It happens when you're watching a British film. Or TV show like Downton Abbey. And an American character comes along and it just sounds wrong. Like they just sound awkward. Is bad. he an American in this? Yeah. Do you remember? Okay, the night that he's trying to find food, he finds this like American outpost. They're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're dealing American, with trains yeah. and transportation, right? Yeah. So he has this conversation with like one of the guys. And of course, they're so crass. And they're like, what do you want? Like he walks in and they're like, what do you want? And he's like, I am General Candy. Like he's so, you know. <laughs> And of course, the Americans are like stupid and whatever. But um, so he says this. And this is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie. You don't know what I'm talking about, huh? No. Oh, my God. It's so I, well, good. I forget what he says. Yeah, it's so good. Now, where can I get some grub? Crown of thorns is good for a handout at almost any hour. What is it? A pub? Pub, sir? I don't get you. Uh, oh, dear shit. We don't speak the same language. Uh, a cafe. <laughs> oh dash it <laughs> that's one of my favorite things he says but yeah this phenomenon I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna write a whole book about it how american english sounds so wrong in british movies yeah it does because <laughs> you get used to it yeah and then it's like very musical and then i first noticed it on down like the episodes that shirley mclean comes yeah love her love her to death but yeah. just sounds wrong yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> I love dash it. He says something else. He says like gad, not god. He says G A D. That comes from, from the, the comic, comic strip. Yeah. yeah. He says it all the time. Yeah. It's so funny. It's almost as if like let's say a movie was made now. Let's take like I mean comic strips aren't even really popular anymore, but if you took something like Garfield, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then instead you made it a movie about like this guy that's not a, that's not a cat that like actually just like lives this like, just like a, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But then he you, lives this kind of sedentary life and he just loves lasagna. But, but yeah, you gave him goes, some Garfield yeah, yeah. like traits. Maybe he has red hair. Yeah. <laughs> you could play. I him. could be him. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, but that's exactly what this is. Yeah, it's funny the, what they choose to give him from right. the, the comic strip. Yeah. It's almost uh, reminiscent of Robert Altman's Popeye. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, no, not really. Movie that should be on the list. Should be on the list. Yeah. We yeah. also didn't talk about this, but uh, uh, Michael Powell and Deborah Carr like fell in love during oh, this movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, really? They were together. Oh, yeah. wow. For how long? Do you know? I don't know, but I was watching. So if you guys didn't know this, I didn't know this until today. Thelma Schumacher, who is Martin Scorsese's editor, was married to Michael Powell. Mm-hmm. 
And she has this video also on the Criterion about talking about this movie. And she just, she talked about how Michael, like this movie made Michael very sad because he just remembered Deborah Carr. Like he was just like, it's kind of like a love letter to her. Oh like, no. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> oh, his, his wife is saying this. Like, But that, she's that so cool. Though. Like yeah. Thelma Schumacher. <sighs> yeah. How could, how could Thelma be jealous of Deborah Carr? Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't even get mad at Deborah Carr. I know, I know. She's such a gem. She's really, yeah, really a gem. She is. You've heard it here first, guys. You heard it here first. There was this actress. Her name was Deborah Carr. She was great. <laughs> you have to see the innocence. You yeah, have to, I, I know. keep. I know. I keep. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that person. I know. I have to see it. I love her. I really do. Yeah, she's so good. You um, have to see an affair to remember. That's right. I have not seen that. You would love it's her it. Her and Cary Grant, right? Yeah, oh, and they're so, so, so great together. Yeah, I that's to such There's a no comfort excuse. movie for me. Like, really, a comfort movie. It's so good. Is that Leo McCary? I don't remember. I think it is. Yeah, I need to see that. It's good. Um, yeah, let's 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 go into sight and sound. Okay. So, what was your favorite sight? Okay, mine is when. Angela, this is in the third stage of the movie, World War II now, which is really the present for this movie, is driving Theo home or driving him back to wherever he's staying. This He's just come to the UK and he's still, he's an enemy alien and she's driving him home and he know it's like the moment right before he notices that she looks just like Edith. <laughs> You want to know it's funny? You chose that too? It was, this was like my second choice, yeah. Because you know why? It's the traffic lights that reflect on her face. Yes, She's yes. like, do you mind if I make this? And it's green and you can see because it's reflecting on her face and she speeds up and then it turns yellow and she's like, damn it. And she yeah. stops and it's red on her face. It's so good. I've never seen traffic lights used so effectively. I really have it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it's so good. That's my favorite sight. And then he kind of leans in. So like there's a really beautiful, I, I know I'm cheating, but it's like right after there's a beautiful shot of like her profile when she's like, this light is taking forever. And it like zooms in and he realizes it's just so sweet. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause this is right after Candy has just told him that he always loved her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite site was, it's funny cause this movie is so full. And that was, a, that was literally my second choice. Um, and that's the more like emotionally affecting one, but there's so many great transitions in this movie. Yeah. Like you were talking about in the Turkish bath, like they go underwater mm-hmm. and then they, you know, you pan down the water and then he comes out young. My favorite. And again, it seems silly, but I remember the first time I saw this, I was really taken aback by it was the hunting montage scene. So like, yeah, the time, the is time passing. passing from 1902 to like 1918. Yeah. It's literally just, he's off hunting and you're seeing it's, it's done in this way. You're in his trophy room. And you're just seeing all these animal heads added to the wall. And e- each one, it's like a smash cut. And you hear a shotgun blast. Yeah. And it's such a simple thing. But for 1943, yeah. the fact that that's how you showed the passing of time, beautiful. Beautiful. Count me in. And guess what? Unlike Jean Renoir, we don't have to see these animals get shot. Right. <laughs> we don't, right. So, Yeah, Jean Renoir, up. who claimed that he hated killing and he hated hunting. Um, no, I totally agree. And I think it's so funny that like, okay, Citizen Kane was made what? 41. Okay. So it's two I mean, years it's before like, this. But people love to talk about how time passes in Citizen Kane, that famous breakfast scene. Like we've heard about it a million times. Well, no one talks too. about that. Okay. But yeah. no one talks about this. Well, because more people have seen Citizen Kane. I know, but I think that it's fantastic. Like, I think that it's so underrated. I think if more people saw this movie, it happens twice too. You also get it between yeah. World War One and World War Two. That and the bath. I think that bath transition is so cool. Yeah. No one talks about it. It's all about that damn breakfast table in Citizen Kane. <laughs> Drives me crazy. It's no, still a good scene though in Citizen Kane. It is, but it's just like I think I've just heard about it so much and people have talked about it so yeah, much. Yeah, you have this just... thing where like if it's been embraced too many times or like film <laughs> bros do. like it, then you can't like it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> What's your favorite sound? My favorite sound, again, it, w- it was against, there was two runners up here. I have two, too, because there's so many good lines in this movie. So my, I'll say my second place. We don't need to pull this one. But it's essentially when Candy tells Theo that uh, he never got over her. Mm. And it's that whole speech of yeah. he always loved her and she's dead now. And 
her and Thea lived this whole life together, and he hadn't seen her since. So that was a runner-up for mm-hmm. me. But my real one, again, it's just cutting it down to, to the simple, just the basics. Yeah. Is at the end of their stay in the hospital with Theo and, and Candy, because there's this whole joke that's been set up that Theo can only say very much and... Wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Very much and not very much, right? Yeah. And that's the only English he knows. And so at the end, when they're leaving, he says... Clive, my English is not very much, but my friendship for you is very much. Yeah! And that's that's it for me. That's it. It's so good. <laughs> my, I have two favorite sounds as well. The first one is kind of obvious. It's when the birds are chirping when World War One is over. Okay, yeah, great moment. Um, try play it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did so much work. I'm going to freaking play it. So it's basically like he gets a telegram saying that the war is over. And then like literally in that moment, like the bombs stop and the birds start chirping. And it's just, I mean, come on. Like, come on. I don't know. There's no way to talk about this movie without sounding really redundant. I keep saying like, it's so good. It's so good. But like, it is. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just really peaceful. So that's, I think that's second because <laughs> my number one favorite sound. It is when Candy and his soon to be wife, Barbara, are on a bench outside her very, again, Downton Abbey like home. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about why they love each other, why they're getting married. And here is one thing she says that really struck a chord with me. I'm marrying you because I love watching you play polo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, what a Jackie line. (laughs) I'm marrying you because I love watching you play polo. Again, something we never see him do. (laughs) Exactly, but it's such a British love. Like she's like whispering it in his ear. It's the most (laughs) British thing I've ever heard in my life. It's it's turning him on too. Oh, oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. When I was young, I had a really big obsession with Prince Harry. I thought that he was my Prince Charming. Which one is he? He's the ginger one. Is he the bald one? They're all bald. Oh, yeah. He's the one married to Meghan Markle. Okay, okay. He's the yeah. cool one. Come on. Up. Like, he was the cool Wait, one. He Harry was the bad and... one. William. That's right. Okay. Continue. I was very obsessed. Mm-hmm. Like, I really thought, okay, I'm going to marry this man one day and I'm going to be part of the British family. Like, I really, really thought that. And there were these photos of him playing polo. Like, there were a bunch he used to play polo all the time. And he looked so cute. And I used to think it was the cutest thing ever. Like, this man plays polo. (laughs) I really loved that line. I thought it was so funny and so British. Cool. (laughs) That's such a Jackie pick. You didn't see that coming? It's such a Jackie pick. I had to pause. When she said that, I paused the movie. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) As I was watching this, I was like, what is the ridiculous line that Jackie's going to (laughs) pick? Well, I'm glad I didn't disappoint you. Yeah, you didn't. Um, What does, and please tell me she does. No. Fuck. So this is where we normally do a Pauline Kael segment where we read Pauline Kael's review for the movie. But this came out in 1943. All I know is I pulled a quote from her on, I think this is specifically pertaining to Michael Powell, but this is what she said. She said he is, in quotes, a master purveyor of high kitsch. (laughs) Which blows my mind. Pauline, what the fuck? What the fuck? We started this podcast loving Pauline Kale, and the (laughs) the deeper we get into it, I feel like the more she doesn't line up with our taste. (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, okay, I, you know what? If if she's talking about like a matter of life and death or something, I get that. I get that. So interesting. Yeah. So she's not really that big of a fan. That's not okay, Pauline. What the fuck? Yeah, that's that's disappointing. That's very disappointing. How can you truly love movies and not think that these are like out of this world? Agree. Anyway, should we get into Letterbox? We're about to find out. Yeah. All right. I've got a one star here. Okay. And there weren't that many one or we even might, two We might stars. overlap because there yeah. really weren't that many. 
Someone said, one of my least favorite reviews of anything is when people say it's boring. Something cannot be entertaining and still have a lot of intellectual value, deep themes, and a lot of influence to consider. This movie is boring. No. Okay, two stars. Um, It has great performances and dialogue and breathtaking cinematography and blah, blah, blah. And the runtime didn't even bother me. This just isn't the kind of story I have much interest in. If you enjoy reminiscent romantic films set during wartime and (laughs) and aren't bothered by British people, you should definitely check this out. God, there's so many people. I do prefer the English patient, but that's because (laughs) of the Colin Firth factor, which is arguably the most important factor to consider. Is evaluating any there? film. Yeah, he has like a... Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long. He's like... I've never seen it. He... Yeah, he's in it. But he's he's very young. Like, very young. Two and a half stars. I fell asleep. <laughs> Someone gave it a star and a half and said, about as bland as British food. I saw that. Damn it. I really wanted to say that one. That made me laugh out loud. Um, this one's a good review, but it was funny. It's four stars. This is the greatest cinematic argument in favor of mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he pulls it off. As I consider getting rid of mine. Yep. Uh, someone said two and a half stars. Does for Colonel Blimp cartoons what Rob Zombie's Halloween did for John Carpenter's, except this one thinks it's success- it successfully executes its angel of death. It doesn't, but it does try very prettily. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay let's let's talk about rob zombie's shitty halloween movie <laughs> um three stars insufferably british you know that whole pip pip cheerio old chap thing that always manages to rub me the wrong way <laughs> i saw that one <laughs> and i don't know why this was three stars maybe because that portrayal doesn't even doesn't seem to ring true as if the actors are playing caricatures whatever the rest of this isn't that important but I just thought that was funny, the pip-pip cheerio. Uh, This is a longer review, and I'm just going to read the first two sentences, Mm -hmm. but it's a two and a half star, and they say, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp must be one of the worst titles for a movie ever made. (laughs) It reads like something out of an ancient school book. (laughs) What? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, my God. Three stars, this satirized but ultimately redeemed model of violent nationalistic masculinity here was too much for me. But Anton Valbrook is everything. Violent? Everything. <laughs> no, it's not violent at all. It's like kind of anti-violent. Yeah, absolutely. Someone gave it two and a half stars and said, wow, what a production. I didn't really like it, but man, I'm sure this was a big important film for somebody at some point. Lots of exclamation, uh, lots of exclamation points. Not me, but wow, did he sure put some animal heads on walls. Goodness. <laughs> I saw that. That was hilarious. Um, three and a half stars. Me thinks I have a problem because I'm more attracted to Theo in the 40s than him in the 20s. <laughs> That's that silver fox look, right? You know, I didn't think his hair dye was that good, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Someone gave it two and a half and said, this film was pretty black and white for a Technicolor film. What? <laughs> Two and a half stars. Super boring, but some close-ups of Dever Carr saved my life. Saved my life. That's intense. Okay, one more Dever Carr. Three and a half stars. Dever Carr wears so many amazing hats that Rosalind Russell must have done a double take when she saw this movie. (laughs) And glad people like Dever Carr so much. I mean, I've never come across anyone who doesn't like Dever Carr. Me neither. Although The King and I is trash, but... Moving on, uh, <sighs> getting to know you. <laughs> That's the only good song. That's it. You're wrong. That's it. The songs are great. The movie's okay. The songs are great. And their dance, their shall we dance, is some of the most, it's so sexy. That what? dance. What? That dance is sexy. In the movie version? Yeah. No. He like throws her off and is like frustrated at himself and then just like grabs her waist and they start dancing again. It's hot. Yul Brenner. <laughs> yeah, he's I in some know. pretty bad makeup, but like it's hot. The sexual tension is there and they're dancing, <laughs> ballroom dancing. Yeah, I don't know. She was definitely doing that one for the paycheck, that's for sure. I don't think it's that bad of a movie. <laughs> Last thoughts on the life and death of Colonel Blimp. 
This is a treasure. I think so too. This is one of many treasures in the Powell and Pressburger line of films. <laughs> I've only seen three films of theirs, and it's like each time I see one, I'm just like, I can't wait for the next one. Like, yeah. I just can't wait. Yeah. But I feel like I got the big three out of the way, and now the rest of them are going to be good, but maybe not as good. Well, you know, these these are the big three, but then they have lots of others. Like, the, um, Matter of Life and Death is still really big. Uh, Tales of Hoffman. They did Tales of Hoffman. Well, you know, it's funny. You know what Michael Powell is known for doing solo, right? Mm-mm. Peeping Tom. You know Peeping Tom from the 60s? No. It's this kind of proto-slasher horror movie where this guy with a camera goes around that has like this long spear at the end and he like takes pictures of people and stabs them oh my god it's this famous again i think it's criterion also but michael powell it was a solo effort and he's almost as well known for that as he is for like the red shoes and stuff wow yeah no i haven't seen it so i think it's just another excuse for your continuing foray into the horror genre (laughs) i think i think if you if you like movies I think that you will like this movie. <laughs> that sounds really stupid, but like, really, well, you were saying this has everything you want from a movie, and I, I agree. Yeah, it does. Wait, did I say that? You did. You said it's like a buddy movie, but it's oh, also yeah, like this epic, yeah, years-long right. romance kind of, and it's, it's it's funny, but it's also serious and has really serious themes. And yeah, it is. It almost is everything you could want from a movie. Yeah. I think too. I think it. If you are into movies, this is kind of like a buffet of just like yeah. all good stuff all in one place, right? It's like going yeah. to the nice buffet, not the shitty casino buffet. Yeah. And it's also not like... This is like a Mario Batali buffet. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a piece of shit. This is the win buffet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've never been. I haven't either, but it's just really nice. <laughs> yeah. This isn't some Reno buffet, okay? Well, what's what's the movie next week? I think two thousand one. It is two thousand one. This little movie, maybe you've heard of it. (laughs) All right, thank you for joining. Yeah, had a blast this week. Join us next week for two thousand one, a space odyssey. See you guys then. Bye. Seen and Heard is presented by the Arroyo Film Club, produced by and starring Greg Kleinschmidt and Jacqueline Pistachian, edited by Greg Kleinschmidt. Music by Andrew Cox. Special thanks to Catherine Ferenczak.